Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. At this time, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come together this morning to continue worship at this portion of the service, but Lord, allow us to just take a moment for the remainder of our time together to really, truly come to appreciate everything that you have done for us. Even mimicking the words of Mike this morning, just being blown away. You didn't have to, but you chose to. And for that, we are forever grateful. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's easily one thing to go to your favorite concert. Imagine having an opportunity to go hear your favorite band play. It's one thing to have that opportunity to hear your favorite band play live. It's one thing to have a ticket to general admission. You're in the building, you can at least hear them play live. It's one thing to actually have some better seats. Maybe you have a floor seat. Or, or maybe it's even better than just a floor seat. Maybe, just, just now, maybe you have a front row seat. That'd be a pretty amazing way to experience your favorite band play. A huge arena, you're there. But it's entirely something different. Something that goes beyond just having a seat for general admission. A seat on the floor, a seat in the front row. There is something that actually supersedes those three basic areas that you can sit within in an arena. See, what I'm alluding to is this, an all-access backstage pass. Something that grants you complete access backstage, meaning that you can just go right past security like you own the place, and go right in to the realm to where your band hangs out, maybe even their dressing room, the green room, before they go on stage. What would you prefer? Would you prefer, if you had the opportunity, just a ticket to general admission? Would you prefer a floor seat, a front row seat? Or would you actually prefer to go see your favorite group play with an all-access backstage pass. What would you talk about if you had an opportunity? What kind of questions would you ask your favorite band? Would you ask them about how they came up with the lyrics for their first album? Would you get into details with who produced that or did what, whatever it may be? You have this full access. Brothers and sisters, as it once pertained to mankind and God... We didn't have a backstage pass with all access. We didn't have a front row seat. We did not have a seat on the floor. We didn't even have general admission. In fact, you know what we had? We had a tailgate perspective sitting in the parking lot 
while the show's actually going on inside the venue. That's all we had. And we know that this is true because we didn't even have a tabernacle. And why is this? See, the superior sacrifice that needed to be sacrificed had yet to be sacrificed. Even in the tabernacle, the temporary tent set up by the Israelites as orchestrated by God, there wasn't the opportunity. Jesus has granted all believers and all access backstage pass to God. That's exactly what we're going to see today. We're going to see that the only way to God was always going to have to go through Jesus. And this is the reason why we've titled our sermon this this morning. And our title for our sermon this morning is this. Ineffective religion. Ineffective religion. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9 verses 1 through 10. We cannot forget that last week we were encouraged in the fact that God has agreed that we can know His mercy because we've been forgiven through Jesus. Do you see a constant theme? It all goes through Jesus. Today we're going to be talking about the same Jesus, the superior sacrifice that granted us an all-access backstage pass to God Himself. So without saying any more, we're going to go ahead and get into chapter 9 of Hebrews. You can follow along with me. The verses will be on the screen. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar and incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded in the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak of now in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Amen. As we look to put all ten of these verses into one sentence, that state sentence would look just like this. As foreshadowed by the tabernacle, 
Access to God passes through Jesus. As foreshadowed by the tabernacle, access to God passes through Jesus alone. Now, keep one thing in mind, and it comes from our main idea right here, and that idea is this. Everything that we are about ready to observe in this text in detail serves the purpose of foreshadowing Jesus to come. So with that being said, let's go ahead and look at this tabernacle. This is a diagram of the earthly tabernacle that you're going to hear about today. See, this tabernacle was material. This tabernacle was imperfect. And this tabernacle was temporary. And what you're looking at right now is a bird's eye view of the tabernacle. So you can kind of have a reference to go to when you hear about some of these things. See, this tabernacle represented when it's all said and done. And when we look at it, it really represented an ineffective religion. And I'm okay with saying that because it's quite clear that the tabernacle was an ineffective sanctuary in an ineffective ceremony that or ineffective ceremonies were being practiced in this tabernacle but I'm okay with saying that because ultimately it leads us to who is effective and his name is Jesus so as you observe this tabernacle this bird's eye view you're going to notice the holy of holies and this is actually also called the most holy place then you have the holy place. And these are labeled at the top there. This is not because this is back in the back of the most holy of places. You have the Ark of the Covenant. Then you have a veil, which is also very important. And we'll talk about that today. But there is a veil that actually separated the holy of holies from the holy place. So right here in verses 1 through 5, we see a brief detail about this earthly tabernacle because obviously you're going to notice that the author says we cannot go into great detail now, but we're going to see some detail. So in verses 1 through 5, Hebrews 9, we must understand first and foremost, is very difficult for us Westerners. This is not easy for us to comprehend in our Western mentality because we must remember that the intended audience here in chapter 9 of Hebrews was actually intended for Jewish Christians. So we got to go back to chapter 8 to get some context about how chapter 9 starts off. See, we must remember that chapter 8 ended with threatening words. Yeah, that's right. There are threatening words in the Bible. Let me read these threatening words to you. This is from chapter 8, verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. See, that's what's threatening. It's ready to vanish away. This was fulfilled by the temple's destruction in 70 A.D. because when this was actually written, it was written around 63 or 64 A.D some six, seven years prior to the temple's destruction. So this prophecy actually did come true. See, the author predicts the temple's destruction in 
Chapter 8, verse 18. And this goes all the way back to the tabernacle from verses 2 and 5 to show that it was only to be temporary. Even the tabernacle, the tent, the portable tabernacle, and the temple, both are temporary. And I would imagine if we saw Solomon's temple in its day, we would probably say, no, 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 no way that that's a temporary structure. The author is prepping the audience. He's prepping these Jewish Christians, and he should be reminding us of the glorious work of Christ and the new covenant that we now get to experience. Now, the first covenant provided two things. Prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, regulations and worship and a place for worship were actually provided for the people. Another reason for the temple's destruction was just that. See, the temple had to be destroyed because these two things were only temporary. God destroyed what was temporary in order to replace it with what is permanent. Both the regulations in place for worship were earthly. They were material. They were imperfect and temporary only in nature. See, the high priest had to perform these regulations repeatedly. It wasn't one and done. They had to be repeated over and over and over and over again. Brothers and sisters, the ministry and sanctuary of Jesus is the opposite. Jesus was one and done eternally in heaven. When Jesus was sacrificed for the sin of the world upon the cross, His death, burial, and resurrection was a one-time deal. It's a one-time transaction for us to accept God's grace in God's mercy to receive forgiveness that's only offered through Jesus, we don't have to be like the high priest. We don't have to seek the forgiveness offered through Jesus over and over and over again. We do not have to repeat ourselves. The tabernacle was not only temporary, but it was also limited. I find this rather interesting. See, it was rather specific in how limited it was because the first section that you see, the holy place, was actually an area. It was a room that was 30 by 15 by 15. The second section was illuminated by God's glory. You had to go into the next section just to receive God's glory. The two sections were separated by a veil. And this represented a barrier between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. Now, we mentioned this briefly a few weeks ago, but there's something very important that we must remember because for those of us that are thinking of another veil at the temple, you are on track. Does anybody remember what happened to the veil at the temple when Jesus breathed His last breath? It was torn from top to bottom. Why do you think that is? 
Because there is no longer a barrier to keep us from the holiness of God because Jesus had eliminated that barrier. Amen is right. We now have access to God because of our faith in Christ. This wasn't offered to the Jews. It wasn't until Jesus and His death, burial, and resurrection that these now Jewish Christians could experience the holiness of God directly themselves. Now, when we look at verse 4, which we can throw on the screen for you here, verse 4 talks about the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant contained three things. It contained the golden urn holding manna. This is God's provision while the Israelites wandered in the wilderness. You remember the story, hopefully. As they wandered in the wilderness, God provided for their needs exactly and precisely what they needed each day. But do you think the Israelites thought that was good enough? Do you think they trusted God? No, He would provide for them one day and they would gather more thinking He was going to provide for them the next but this is a reminder, this golden urn holding that manna. Another reminder was Aaron's staff. That accompanied the Ark of the Covenant. It was God's powerful warning about complaint and fault fighting, especially against God. Because that's what the Israelites did as they wandered. Now, the third and most important thing that we find in this Ark of the Covenant was the tablets of the covenant. The Ten Commandments. God's moral expectations. And from what we've been realizing throughout Hebrews here is this. God's moral expectations in the form of the Ten Commandments foreshadow the perfection of Christ. Because if you remember from last week, we talked about looking at the man in the mirror. That's the purpose of the Ten Commandments. Look at yourself in the mirror, a.k.a. the Ten Commandments, and find out how well do you stack up. You should look at the Ten Commandments and tell yourself, I don't stack up so well. Which is why we go back to Jesus. Because only He could perfectly, perfectly fulfill all ten. Church, Don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise what I'm about ready to say. This is paramount. In fact, this is so important. When my kids were three years old, four years old, we started ingraining this in their heads. Every verse in the Bible leads to Jesus. We used to tell our kids, this book is not about you, but who? And they would say, Jesus. This book, 100% of it, is all about Jesus. Every Bible character, every rule, every regulation, everything that we see, especially here at the tabernacle, leads directly to Jesus too. Now think about that when we talk about this mercy seat that you see. 
See, the mercy seat was sprinkled once per year on the Day of Atonement. The high priest had to be a repeat performer again, over and over and over again. Even though he repeated himself in sprinkling the mercy seat with the sacrificial animals, it didn't matter how much blood he sprinkled, that blood could never conquer sin. Remember, Hebrews 8.13 said, And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Do you see what's going on here? God has used what is temporary to foreshadow what is eternal. And that's what we should be seeing. That's what we should be reminded of when we hear about this tabernacle. Verses 6-10, through 10, as we continue to move along, in verse 6 we notice that it says, the priests go regularly. I have a hard time with that word, so usually I say it slowing down, which helps me. Some of you guys think I talk too fast to begin with, so that would help. But regularly, right? Am I right? My wife's a speech pathologist. You'd think I'd get all this right. But they would have to go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual and duties. Again, over and over and over again. They repeated this process because it didn't matter how many times they did it, they would never conquer sin on their own. And you know what? And I forgot to mention something about this all access backstage pass that we talked about from the outset. See, here's the problem really, it's like going to a concert with your best friends. You're all going to the show, but only one of you has access to the arena. Only one of you has access, but it's not general admission. It's not a floor seat. It's not a front row seat. Only one of you has access, and that access is a backstage all-access pass. That is the high priest. That was his role. Only he could go between that barrier and be in the presence, be in the holiness of God. That's what's amazing about what Jesus has done. That's why the Bible calls us a royal priesthood. Because our saving faith in God's grace has allowed us to be priests, has allowed us access backstage. Now, think about a few religions out there, because after all, we are talking about ineffective religion. How many religions have you heard of or that you know where there are designated priests? Doesn't this start to contradict what we're talking about? Can't you see the contradiction? That's how things used to be done. So if things used to be done like that, and if we know from the beginning of Hebrews, we've been talking about Jesus being the high priest. If we know that there was a veil in the tabernacle, and if we know now that the veil has been torn the minute Jesus breathed His last breath, 
Where does that place us? That places us in the position of being what the Bible actually calls us. A royal priesthood. We have direct access to God. Church, that one person we're talking about, Jesus, does in fact represent the better high priest. He's the ultimate high priest. And speaking of the earthly high priest, see, on the Day of Atonement, the earthly high priest had to go into that area twice. Once per year. Once for himself, and then once for the sins of the people. And, and it wasn't just the sin in a general sense, it was specific sin. See, he could only go in there and sprinkle blood for the sins of ignorance. The sins that the people committed that they didn't know that they actually committed. He wasn't even allowed to go in there for the sins that people admitted that they committed. But I, I find that interesting too. Why is God concerned about atonement for sins that people are ignorant to their committing? That should say something about us. That should say something about us in church fellowship. We're all in the same boat. We all willingly commit sin and we all ignorantly commit sin. And I don't know about you, but I need my brothers and sisters in Christ, a.k.a. you, to remind me when I commit sin that I'm oblivious to. And trust me, there are plenty of sin or sins that I commit that I am oblivious to. Fortunately, we can remind each other of this because Jesus not only covered the sins that we're ignorant of, but he also covered the sins that we are informed of committing. Verse 6 and 7 represents the Old Covenant. It represents the limited access to God's presence. Now, verse 8 is all about the New Covenant, which is the access that we now have with God through the blood of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let me be the first today at least, to tell you. You are privileged. We are privileged. Jesus has granted us access to God anytime, anywhere. God has granted us the privilege of not having to work and earn our salvation. But yet, we get it confused in our ignorance. We run around like busybodies trying to earn our salvation. Sometimes, and hear me out when I say this, sometimes when we think we're doing good, we may actually be doing harm. We need each other. But we can only have each other because of Christ. He has unified us in this new covenant. We're part of what God is doing because of Jesus and Him first. And our job as believers, as a church family, is to remind each other of our need for Him. Say it, Miss Hallie. Go. Go team. And that's never been more true in my life today than it was 
anytime before, and I hope I can say the same tomorrow. Verse 9 tells us gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Think about that. Gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. That's why this sermon this morning is titled, Ineffective Religion. So as Joe joins me, we know what can. We know that the conscience of the worshiper cannot be perfected by anything that we offer God, but we know that it can only through and by the blood of Jesus. Only the blood of Jesus can, as it say, perfect the conscience of the worshiper. See, God used the tabernacle as an object lesson for a spiritual truth. So really, that's how you can look at the tabernacle this morning. It's really just an object lesson of a spiritual truth. And that spiritual truth tells us that only God Himself, a.k.a. Jesus, cleanse us of our sin. Church, we may not think to offer up sacrificial offerings in a tabernacle today. That may not be our MO today, but we do attempt to offer ourselves up as good people to God. We may think it's foolish to sacrifice the blood of a bull, but we actually run afoul of trying to offer ourselves up. That goes back to being busybodies running around thinking sometimes that we're actually serving the Lord. But are we serving the Lord or are we serving ourselves? And that's a question we all need to be asking ourselves. Is, is my service to bring honor and glory to Jesus or am I just putting a feather in my cap so I can stand before the Lord and say, look at everything I've done. No one will ever be able to stand before the Lord in judgment based on his or her own work. We can only stand before the Lord. We can only enter God's holiness based upon the work of Jesus Christ. Because after all, church, after all, good people go to hell every day. Good people go to hell every hour, every minute, and every second of every day. God doesn't care about you being a good person. God cares about you having faith in Him being the perfect priest, the superior sacrifice. God does not want us. After all, why would God want us? We have absolutely nothing to offer. Well, let me take that back for a moment. We have nothing to offer God but Jesus Himself. That's what God wants. He wants to see Jesus when He sees us. And the only way He's ever going to see Jesus when He sees you is if you have accepted the grace that He's extended you. 
and responded by repenting from your sin. And that repentance isn't one and done. Because as humans, we're incapable. We need to learn to repent each and every day. We need to learn how to allow the superior sacrifice, Mr. One and Done, to be our representation before the Lord. And this is why we can say this this morning. The ceremonial regulations of the tabernacle could never defeat sin because they had to be rinsed and repeated. That's what the priest was doing. It was rinse and repeat. That's not Christianity. Christianity is faith in Mr. One and Done, Jesus Christ Himself. The perfect priest, the superior sacrifice. And finally, one last time, all ten of these verses into one sentence states this, as foreshadowed by the tabernacle, access to God passes through Jesus alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Your work upon the cross has put us in a position that we do not deserve. I pray that we can be used as a body of believers to share that truth with others in our lives. Help prepare us for that ministry specifically as we move forward as a church family, as we can continue to encourage each other in that. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.